Good morning. It's good to be back. I don't really know if it's time number six, uh, but I, I was saying it's my sixth year at Western Kentucky, which is amazing that we've been there that long. Um, it does seem like just a couple years ago that I was here for the first time. So um, it's also good that you have now sent me one of yours, so I appreciate that. Keep stocking our group uh, with students. Um, our passage this morning is from John chapter 1. Um, and it was going to be from another uh, passage. I'll explain in a minute uh, why that changed. But uh, I don't think in my 14 years of ministry and preaching that I've ever done a topical sermon, except on dating. That, that doesn't count. You have to do that with students. But uh, this is more, not a topical, it's more of a one-verse sermon. This is something C.H. Spurgeon might have done or uh, different periods of the past. You might see it in other churches, but as I have been studying the, the Gospel of John for this semester, this phrase has stuck out to me as much as any. Uh, verse 29 of chapter 1, and then we'll turn over to verse 35. It's a very familiar text, a very familiar phrase. Uh, this is um, as Jesus comes on the scene. Um, John the Baptist is, is the context and Jesus calling disciples. Verse 29, the next day, John the Baptist, he that is, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then in verse 35, <clears throat> the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray this morning that you would enable us to continue to behold you. Father, if we are just waking up right now, if we are just spiritually even beginning to get our thoughts focused on why we are here we pray that you would focus them on the Bible, on Jesus, on the Lamb of God, and that you through your Spirit would do far more than we even expected or asked for or would ask for, that you would pour out your Spirit, you would make uh, the Gospel alive to us today, that you would equip those who are yours in this Gospel and in the Bible and that you would call those who are not, that they would see for the first time or for the zillionth time the Lamb of God who takes away their sin. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's always interesting uh, coming back from fall break. We've had a couple days away with our family. And uh, I don't know about you, but I have a list of to-dos in my house. They're not written anywhere. My wife does not hold them over my head. But it's kind of like your conscience that accuses and defends you. I have this unwritten, well written, but invisible list in my head of things that I need to do around the house. And they're always larger every week, every month, every year. I'll, I'll take a couple days, I'll chip away at them. 
Um, I got halfway through fixing a banister that my son's friend broke. I was so excited, I haven't touched it since. It's fixed in the garage, but it's not on the wall again. Okay? Uh, our little spigot in our sink in the kitchen is broken, and it, it's connected way under there. And any time I've ever touched plumbing, bad things happen. And so I've got it where I pulled it all the way out and I put it in the sink so that when it drips, it drips in there. And my wife always puts it back and I go, no, honey, if you put it there, it's going to leak and we're going to have a bigger problem. She's like, well, why don't you just fix it? Well, that would mean I'd have to have a plumbing degree and I don't have a plumbing degree. So I'm just going to put it right here until I can get that three days to go to Home Depot and stare at all the plumbing things and get confused. Well, we come back from fall break and we have another plumbing problem. The kid's toilet is now broken for the umpteenth time. And it's not the normal thing that breaks where the chain catches and it just goes on and on. It's actually not getting water. And all I have to do, I've done it before, you just have to replace that thing that floats, right? It's not that hard. You turn the water off. But here's my point. My list is always this long. There are so many things in our home that are always broken. My wife's great insight over the fall break in 19 years of marriage, I think this is the most important thing she's ever said to me. I'm, I'm trying to encourage her to do a girl's retreat for a friend of mine who wants me to do the guy's retreat. And, um, and she doesn't feel qualified to do it, doesn't want to do it. And I said, well, why don't you do what you've been doing with the older girls? She does a... a, a junior-senior Bible study on Fridays. And I said, by the way, what have you been doing with him? Um, and I knew she'd been doing the psalm. She said, well, basically, this is my theme. If God loves you, if Jesus loves you, He will mess up your life. Okay. That's one of the hardest things to digest, but maybe the, one of the most profound things you've ever said. And she told me in the context of us talking about these friends of ours back in Tennessee and their four children. And on Facebook, they're always posting how great things are. And it's legit. Like it may be very sincere. The kid, teenage kids talking on Facebook how they love each other and quoting Bible verses to each other. And the parents and the, the husband and wife. And, and she said, honey, when I look at that family, I just feel like we're dysfunctional. I'm like, we are, pretty much. Especially compared to them. But look, here's, here's the point. Yes, Jesus puts you back together. Yes, Jesus heals you. Yes, sanctification is a biblical, theological doctrine. But sanctification also means, even if you are, if you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, you still have messes. There are a lot of things in your life that need to be fixed, that are broken, and that aren't perfect, and aren't worthy to put on Facebook. I was joking about your new entrance. It's beautiful, and it, and it, and it gives everybody the impression that now you're polished. You look good. And that can almost be a head fake. Let's get you in the door. Now we're going to talk about how you're really not polished, okay? That's what we do as the church. It's our fun job. Um, but here's the, here's the point I'm trying to get at is that we do have a problem. And the problem isn't 
liberals, the problem isn't conservatives, especially at this season of the four-year period. It's not the Middle East. It's not your spouse. It's not your children. It's not your finances. It's not your neighbor. And the problem that we have, we can't fix. And we can't do away with it. And God in His grace has before all eternity determined to fix it for us. And that is through Jesus, the Lamb of God. And John the Baptist actually uses a strong word. If your version has look, it's a little light. It's the behold is a better word. It's as if John is saying, I want you to see something that you've never seen before. I want you to put your eyes on something that is not you. It's not from this earth. I want you to see, first of all, the Lamb of God. We have three points. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin, the sin of the world. The first thing John wants us to see is that Jesus is the Lamb of God. I want us to think first about the Lamb. If you're new to the church or new to Christianity, or if you have conversations and dialogues with non-Christians, one of the things that you're beginning to hear is this. This is why I'm not a Christian. It's this very idea of lambs and sacrifices and altars and blood and atonement. In other words, this idea that God is up there and He's mad and we as human beings have messed up and we've got to appease Him. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever talked to people about that? Have you ever listened? It's a, it's, it's a real struggle today. Well, first of all, it's not completely accurate. But second of all, think about this. This is maybe for your own struggle with this or for struggles that you talk to people about. Sacrifice is at the heart of everyday language. Sacrifice is at the heart of life. Think about it like this. For life to exist, something has to die. Whether it is in the agricultural world or if it's a baby being fed, a mother has to put her needs aside and say, I'm going to not watch Oprah right now. Ha ha. I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to lay down myself for this child. If a family is going to be fed, someone must work. For arguments to be solved, someone has to die, right? Think about it this way. My favorite cereal, and you can raise your hand if this is yours too, is honey bunches of oats with almonds. Thanks for being honest. Every now and then my wife goes to the story, store and she runs to Aldi first in a cost-cutting strategy. And instead of getting post-honey bunches of oats, she gets Millville cardboard oats and something. They're terrible. And so when I come in that night or the next morning and I've got my craving... The one thing that I'm gonna, that's going to be mine all day, right? 
Everything else I'm going to do is for everybody else. My kids or my students or my wife. I'm not that spiritual. But I open up the cupboard and it's Millville. Now, somebody's got to die at that moment, don't they? Because here's the scenario. It's not just Millville. It's the real brand of Lucky, Lucky Charms is right beside them. Meaning my wife chose my nine-year-old over me. Who's going to die? See, sacrifice is very close. It's the heart of everything. So don't, don't reject the idea so quickly if you're not a Christian. And be sympathetic to those who aren't Christians. That This is a hard idea, but, the, but it's really underneath the fabric of life. Lamb is all over life. Sacrifice is all over life. But the second thing about this lamb, notice it's a lamb that John says, Behold. Think about that for a second. It seems simple, but it's a lamb. I know if you were raised with the Bible, if you study the Bible, lambs are very normal to us. But lambs are not the way you conquer anything in this culture. Ever. Do we look throughout history and exalt lambs? Do we, do we get behind sports teams that have a bunch of lambs on them? Of course not. They're losers. They die. They're soft. It's not a lion. Could have been. Jesus is described as a lion. John could have said, look, the lion of Judah, and he's going to take away all your problems right now by wiping you out. It's not a bear. One of my favorite passages, even my nine-year-old likes this passage, and it's hard to get him to like the Bible, is, is Elisha in the Old Testament. When Elijah has given Elisha the baton, right? And now he's the prophet. He's the chosen prophet of God. And these 40 punks, thugs, are walking down the street. And you've seen this if you go out on a weekend night. There's just these packs of thug kids that just kind of... Ah. And they start laughing at him and joking at him. And this is why I believe the Bible. Because they start mocking him and, and shouting things. And they start saying, Go on up, you old bald head. And then guess what happens? Elisha says, he, he doesn't say this, but read between the lines, he says, you don't mess with God's prophet. All of a sudden, two bears come out of the woods and maul all 40 of them. Pretty gruesome. That's not how Jesus comes, is it? Think about Jesus before Pilate. Pilate says, I have the power of life and death over you. Does he really? Who really has the power at that moment? Jesus is a lamb. And he's from God. Notice the source. John says, behold, the lamb of God. It's not the lamb of humans. It's not the lamb from humans. He's saying humans would not have come up with this. Humans would have come up with lions and bears. Leaders that we can get behind. This is something 
not from the left or from the right. This is not something um, uh, from the earth. If you read John over and over and over, Jesus is talking as if he's from another world because he is. And over and over he says to the people, I am not of this world. I am from above. I am not of the earth. As if to say, you would not have come up with this. I am something utterly different to save you. Here's the question. Do you need a lamb? Do you need someone, something from God, from above to save you? Or have you gotten beyond that? It doesn't take much for me to be reminded of my sin. Last year, over fall break, we had a free hookup in Chattanooga, an apartment. All we had to do is pay the cleaning fee. I love those. Not just because I was a minister, it's because I knew someone. I love that. Jumping up and down. I love Chattanooga. My kids love Chattanooga. There's a great mountain biking trail in Chattanooga. I couldn't wait to do it. You know, it was going to be so exciting. And the Wednesday we got there, I got the worst flu-like stomach bug I've ever had in my life. I was knocked out in deep pain from Wednesday to the time we left. So the past two weeks, I've been telling my students, I'm not shaking your hand. I'm not getting sick because we're going back to Chattanooga. We didn't have the free hookup. It was worse. I had to pay for it this time. But that's okay. We're going back to Chattanooga and we're going to have a great time and we're going to do all the things that I couldn't do the last time and then I'm going to ride that trail. Literally, Tuesday before we left, I could feel it coming on. I'm going, this is a joke. Somebody's injected me with something. This, is, this can't be true. I'm getting achy. I, everything isn't sitting right. By Tuesday night, I'm hugging the toilet. My family goes without me. I make it a day later. I lay in bed half a day. I finally feel better enough that I can talk myself into trying to do this trail. It's three or four, you know, I get there and it starts raining. I have to be really honest with you. I did this to God in stubbornness and basically said, I don't want to talk to you right now. Do you need a lamb? Do you do that with God? Do you have those moments? Jesus is a lamb of God, a lamb from God who secondly takes away sin. We won't spend forever on sin. I just gave you my example. You could give us examples, but flip over to John chapter 2. A very profound statement by Jesus, more profound than my wife's actually. Verse 23 through 25. Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast. Many believed in His name when they saw the signs He was doing. Things are going well. Things are looking up. But listen to this. Jesus on His part did not entrust Himself to them Because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in a man. I actually went back and looked at a commentary. I bought a commentary because I was struggling with John. I've got three commentaries on John. Some of them weren't that good. They just weren't helping. 
So I asked some friends, they said, you need to get this commentary. I got it. It's like 800 pages. It was heavy. It probably cost $20 in shipping. And I studied it on that verse. And do you know what this guy who had 800 pages of words to say? He said, I don't understand that verse. Great. He said this. These are, in some form or fashion, believers. And Jesus wouldn't entrust Himself to them. I'm going, that makes sense to me. Why is that so complicated? (laughs) The only reason He entrusts Himself to the church is because He is in us. He gives us His Holy Spirit. He dwells in us. So in some sense, He's trusting Himself. (laughs) Yes, He gives the keys to the kingdom. But it's because He's in us. But I, and maybe even if we, if we don't dissect it, as one friend says, when you dissect something, you kill it. So let's, let's not dissect it theologically for a second. Just listen to what Jesus is saying. Maybe He's just saying, it's just a warning. Don't trust yourself. Why? Because He knew what was in a man. Do we know what is in us as believers? John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes it away. This image of taking away our sin, it is unbelievably something to dwell in. But the best commentators think that it goes back to the book of Leviticus. Do you know what my favorite book of the Old Testament is to study? Leviticus. Do you know what the first book that Jewish children studied? Leviticus. You know why? Because it has such pictorial images of how thorough our problem is, but how thorough God's solution is. And one of those images that you may remember is the scapegoat. It's one of my favorite. There were all these different ways to visualize Jesus, the Lamb of God, taking away sin. And one of them wasn't a lamb, but it was a goat. And if you sinned, The priest, you had to bring a goat to the guy. I don't even remember what context this was. Forgive me for not looking it up. But you would take the goat and the priest would say, okay, take your hands. And the the Hebrew word is, is this idea of pressing your hands into the head of the goat. Not just touching it. Not just kind of petting it. Not just being near it. But actually pressing your hands into the goat. And the symbolic picture was that that goat's innocence was transferred to you, but more so, your sin was transferred to the goat. But that's not all. So your sin was pressed into the goat. And then guess what they did? You take the goat to the door, or maybe the tent that had a curtain. And you took the goat goat to the curtain... And you said, get out of here. That's right, kids. You can actually do that in church. You booted the goat and you sent it where? Out into the wilderness. Who wants to go into the wilderness? Only goats with your sin. Because that's how far Jesus takes away your sin from you. That's the biblical image that John is saying. This lamb is better than that goat. It's better than a human priest kicking a goat out into the wilderness. This is God giving you the Lamb of God who takes away your sin. 
And here's the point. Please hear this. This works. This one works. Or John the Baptist is lying. Or John the Apostle is lying. Or the biblical writers are not inerrant. Hear what I'm saying? John the Baptist is saying that Jesus takes away your sin. It works. When we lived in Tennessee, we lived near a small airport. And one fourth of July, I was out cutting the grass. As I was cutting the grass, I could hear this sound. It was early in the morning, and I could hear it sound like just roaring, just something loud. And I just happened to glance up the road, and at the end of my street, a small airplane had crashed. It had basically taken off, and the guys had had problems, and they tried to turn around and head back for the airport. And they nosedived into my neighbor's corner of his roof, flipped over, and so the plane was upside down and engulfed in flames. Immediately, several of, uh, of the neighbors and I ran down. One of my neighbors had his garden hose out trying to put out the fire. I had grabbed two fire extinguishers. And it's amazing what you do in these moments. You just start, you just react. And other guys were doing different things. And guess what? None of it worked. None of it worked. Because it was a gasoline fire. And we thought, I thought my little Home Depot fire extinguisher was going to put out this fuel fire. Are you kidding? And a little garden hose. What what Jesus is saying, what John the Baptist is saying, what the Bible is saying, is that all of our morality and goodness and attempts at being righteous cannot take away our sin. Think about it. Think about the spite that you felt this week towards someone. Or the unrighteous anger. Or the control that you've tried to exert over someone else. Even if it's just a little bit. Or the way you've reacted to a sinful child. Do you think your morality is going to take care of that? Even if Presbyterians, for example, have the most God-centered worship in America. It's not going to work. Can I say that without getting fired? Yes, Fritz, you don't work for us. It can't take away our sin. John says that Jesus takes away our sin. Notice whose sin He takes away. Lastly, it's a universal problem. In other words, he says that Jesus comes to take away the sin of the world, and Presbyterians struggle with this one, man. They, we struggle with the whole world thing. We've got all these answers. But here's the deal. It's very simple, I think. Sin is clearly and biblically a universal problem without exception. But what John is saying is this lamb takes away the sin of the world without distinction. In other words, anyone can press their hands into this lamb. That means 
any of your friends, any of your enemies, any of your neighbors, it doesn't matter socioeconomically, culturally, racially, nationality, nor, please hear this, immorality. Nor morality. If you flipped over to John chapter 4, you're going you're gonna to get one of the most messed up women in the Bible. She's on her sixth relationship. She's given up on marriage. She's tried it five times. She lives a life of shame. And Jesus says, this is for you. And right before that, He goes to a man who's a religious teacher, moral, and says, this is for you. And it's interesting, she gets it immediately and it takes him about three years. As if to say, the more we understand our brokenness, the more clearly we're going to understand Jesus. What John is saying is that Jesus is a lamb who takes away the sin of the world without distinction. In the Old Testament, there's this funny, crazy story that if without Hebrews, we wouldn't know what to do with it. But it's around Genesis chapter 14, and you've got all these nations that are doing battle, and they're fighting, and Lot gets thrown into the mix, so Abraham, his uncle, comes to bail him out with his 300 men, puts everything to rest, and then all of a sudden, this strange figure appears named Melchizedek. And he blesses them, and he does something that we don't know if it's a sacrament and all this. But this is the point. It says that he's priest of God Most High. It's kind of confusing. Who is this guy? Where did he come from? They didn't have the Levitical priest back then. Hebrew says this. That Jesus goes beyond the national, racial, Levitical, tribal priesthood. That He is actually not of that order in the truest sense. He is of the order of Melchizedek. Why? Because He's a universal priest. It doesn't mean He's a universalist if you know what that means. I had a friend that would never visit RUF because he thought the U stood for universalist. It's like, we're not universalists. But you know what? We do want, and we want every person in the universe to know that this Lamb is for them. That they can be forgiven for their sins. Let me close with this. Do you have an issue? Do you have a problem? Do you have sin? How are you trying to take it away? Where are you running to? What are you hiding behind? What are you trying to do to compensate for it? And I would invite you, I would encourage you to run back to the Lamb today, to press your hands into Him. I said that Leviticus was my favorite book in the Old Testament. One of the other images that Leviticus uses is actually one of the words used for baptism. Literally, one of the words that is translated they would take the blood and they would splash it onto the altar. Not sprinkle, not... Okay, they would splash it. 
Have you ever been to the beach and you're standing there and that wave just comes up and it splashes over you and it gets you out of nowhere? That's the idea. That you're either, you're either bathed and splashed in the blood of Jesus. You're either pressing your hands into Jesus. Saying, that is who takes away my sin. Or you're looking to morality, superiority, all sorts of forms of goodness, good things, that will not take away your sin. Behold the Lamb of God, even as we come to this table this morning, we get to behold, not just verbally, not just through the preaching, but actually through the tasting, through the drinking, spiritually, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let me pray. Lord, as we come to this table, we pray that it would not just be a religious ceremony. We pray that You would press Yourself into us. That You would drench us, O God. Flood us with the knowledge and the grace of Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away our sin. God, it is so easy for me to look outside and to see everyone else's sin, to see the problems with the world. And Father, to totally ignore myself. To think I am okay. Father, You say that man does not go home justified before God. But the one who beats his breast and says, I am a sinful man. You say there is a lamb for that. And as we come to this table, God, I pray that You would meet us here. That You would renew the forgiveness of our sins in our hearts and our lives so that our demeanors would change, our dispositions, our internal workings, O God. That we would be beautiful and radiant, even more so than the beautiful foyer that I got to walk in this morning. Would you do that for Jesus' sake, for the good of your church, and for the good of the world. Amen.